Lynn Owl here, welcoming you to our series, Undo the Damage of Anger, Hurt, and Resentment. Titled after my book, released in 2006, no longer in print, Anger, Hurt, and Resentment, Undo the Damage in Five Simple Steps. The Attitude of Gratitude podcast through the iHeartRadio app provides you with essentially a Reader's Digest-style version, an audio version of that book. There are two bits of information that require repeat coverage. One states precise definitions of the three words, anger, hurt, and resentment. The other will be a verbatim reading of Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15, from the original NIV. First up, the three words, anger, hurt, and resentment. Anger is a survival mechanism that produces fight, just as fear produces flight. Negative or destructive anger is when it's used to control others, when it continues or escalates into rage after the threat has dissipated or is gone, or when it's directed toward that which is actually no threat. Anger in the absence of a real and or present threat is resentment. Hurt feelings describe wounded emotions. When they continue in the absence of their cause, they become resentment. Hurt feelings are perhaps the most difficult form of resentment to eradicate, because the one who feels hurt understands him or herself to be a victim. Resentment as a word may seem rather harmless or benign compared to the emotionally charged words anger and hurt, but resentment is in fact anger and hurt at their worst. And what is worse is that it usually feels right, appropriate, or in some cases just plain satisfying. Such feelings foster and support denial of the harm resentment inflicts upon everyone it touches. Because everyone carries resentment from time to time, including people you love and admire like your saintly grandmother or perhaps your pastor. It's difficult to recognize it as the destructive, infectious disease that it truly is. But because resentments cause and fuel practically all relationship-related ills, neither you nor your relationships will ever reach their full potential until you rid yourself of the resentments you harbor. The second item is printed in extra-large type, occupying an entire page. The heading is simply warning exclamation mark. What follows is simply the two-verse passage immediately following the most famous of all prayers, the Lord's Prayer, as a crucial addendum to that prayer, as the only commentary he provides to it, with its singular focus on his words, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Jesus said, if you forgive men when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive your sins. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. 
Matthew 6, 14, and 15. Thus we have words that are almost always completely glossed over. Words of our Lord himself that very well may be the most shocking words in the Bible. I'm providing this as a preface to each of the numbered installments throughout this series. Resentment, where it goes unresolved, is that dangerous. On the Attitude of Gratitude podcast menu, this program is identified as Undo the Damage 37. I can't think of a better way to wrap up our focus, at least for the time being, on this, our fourth step of the five. That step being the challenge to pray for your enemies, but not simply to pray anything that you feel, but to pray good things, things that are in that person's best interest. That person being someone from whom you feel threatened. The phrase feel threatened is very important because that individual may be your enemy or that person may simply be in your mind, in your head, in your heart, your enemy. That person may actually be your greatest ally or for example, in the case of your spouse, that individual may be your greatest advocate, your most trusted soulmate. Some people who seek out marriage and or family counseling may do so simply to check a box and to be able to rationalize that, well, they tried everything because in their hearts they feel that the marriage is permanently damaged. From my own personal experience as a counselor, I've seen couples who fit that bill nevertheless find healing through the implementation of these five steps. But more often than not, many who feel that there are so-called irreconcilable differences with their spouse are in fact dealing with some issues that can be successfully addressed and often with relatively minor adjustments. The reality is, more people end up in a, a nasty divorce over money issues, financial issues, than from, say, infidelity. Something as simple and basic as simply recognizing differences between men and women can be a great help. So let's go now to the case study. Shannon was 30 and Tom was 31 when they married. Four years into the marriage, having a one-year-old son, Shannon landed in my office resentful that she had invested her life in a man and in a marriage that simply had not turned out the way they were supposed to. Their romance began in a food court in the center of a mall where she and Tom were both in mid-management in the two dominant retailers at opposite ends of the busy mall. Crossing paths nearly every day in the chow line was definitely a sign to both. Shannon 
vividly recalled her first conversation with Tom as they stood in line to place their orders. She wrote, Tom was so engaging. His eyes were excitingly penetrating. You know, I had forgotten how Shannon probably should have been an author, but anyway, at first I felt intimidated in a sexy kind of way. But before we finished that first meal, I couldn't help but think he just might be the one. From the start, he was easy to get to know. He talked about himself, but not all the time like some guys. He also listened. We had so much in common. Our jobs, plans, movies, you name it. If anyone had said to me that today I would be living with little more than a roommate, I hardly know. I would have told them they're crazy. Shannon began to sob as she recounted that even before she became pregnant, she and Tom were already living decidedly separate lives. He just stopped talking. He stopped showing interest. My immediate response was, does he help with the baby or the housework? Oh yeah, he's a great father shaking her head in frustration. Friends tell me how lucky I am that he helps out around the house. But even with that, he does what he thinks needs to be done. But if I want to talk about it, he just looks at me like a child impatiently waiting for mom to finish with the chores list. During their courtship, Shannon had invested in a soulmate. Once married, she ended up with a roommate. There wasn't much else negative to say about Tom. For that, she was extremely fortunate. But as lots of women know, living with someone who doesn't care is heartbreaking enough. It turns out that although Tom, in turn, was beginning not to like Shannon very much, he was still very much in love with her. In his mind, he had been supportive by simply not discouraging her from seeking help for her problem. To this day, he still probably doesn't appreciate just how close he came to losing his nice little family to divorce. Often people seek counseling after they've made up their minds that the marriage is hopeless. As kind of a self-serving effort affording them the rationalization that they have tried everything. Fortunately for Shannon, that wasn't the case. Most importantly, she was willing to give the steps I shared with her, the steps that are highlighted throughout this program. She was willing to give those steps a sincere effort. I didn't expect Shannon to have faith that doing several exercises in behavioral modification would have a transforming effect on Tom. But as you may already be recalling, doing these steps is not about faith. It's about a willingness. 
to do the exercises. Shannon's epiphany in the marriage came with her practice of this fourth step of praying for Tom who had been the threat to the dream she had held so dear. But because neither she nor Tom had much of a spiritual or religious foundation upon which to build, the exercises in gratitude, self-evaluation, and discarding expectations were crucial in freeing her to have the capacity not only to take this fourth step of prayer, but to recognize basic truths about the differences between men and women. Alice Armstrong, author of The Keys to the Kingdom and also a CD titled The Amazing Development of Men, provided me with terminology that even a person college trained in women's studies like Shannon could understand. You see, she had bought into the prevailing wisdom of political correctness that equality equals sameness. Thus, she was as clueless about the opposite sex as was Tom. I followed Armstrong's model of describing key fundamental distinctions in what drives men and women to behave the way they do in relationships. Shannon found most interesting the facts that, one, women are driven by a primeval need for safety or security, while men are motivated by an overwhelming drive to win. And the other thing that caught her attention, women derive their self-esteem primarily from their relationships, while men derive their self-esteem primarily from what they do. In other words, their jobs, hobbies, favorite leisure activities. Because Tom loved Shannon, wanted to spend the rest of his life with her, and wanted her to be the mother of his children, during the courtship, the foremost driving motivation for him in their relationship was to win her. Because men tend to focus on one thing at a time, once he perceived that the first step was accomplished, subconsciously of course, the first step, in other words, toward winning her, Tom moved on to winning security for his family by transferring to his job much of the energy he had devoted to romance. Remember, however, he had been admirably attentive to the baby and to the household chores. Shannon, on the other hand, had expected, yeah, there's that expectation problem, the intensity of their premarital relationship to increase with the tying of the knot of marriage. When it didn't happen, her drive for security was threatened and she became more demanding and critical, eventually alienating the very person she was trying so hard to connect with. Communication, respect, and romance had been replaced with resentment. Two very fine people, three including their son, 
who would be the biggest victim of all, were locked in a relationship headed for disaster. I was able to impart to Shannon a framework whereby she could understand the marriage in its broken state. But it was her working of the first three exercises preparing her for this step of praying for that perceived enemy Tom had become that enabled her to grasp the dynamics of her relationship with Tom. Still, this marriage, despite its potential, needed more than understanding. It needed action. Because Shannon was willing to take responsibility for the damage that had been done to the relationship as a direct result of her overpowering resentment, she was willing to be the first to modify her behavior. She, like many women, was amazed at the dramatically positive influence her intentional expressions of approval and encouragement had on Tom. Men who grew up seeking to win mom's approval are drawn to and motivated by the approval and encouragement of their wives. Women who grew up seeking the security of dad's attention are drawn to and motivated by the attention of their husbands. You can take this action step to address any source of your resentments. Thank you.